All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad that you were be able to be here for Sunday school. Um, Pastor and Miss Wilma are not here at this time. They're uh, visiting their daughter over in uh, in Maine right now, and they're Maryland. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I knew it was one of those eastern states that I haven't been to, but yes. So, um, but uh, it seems like they're enjoying themselves and having a good time of fellowship. They were, last time I saw on Facebook, they were uh, at Gettysburg. So um, just pray for them that uh, they have a safe travels back and for Hannah as well with her health and everything too. Um, So go ahead and take your Bibles and we're going to be in 1 Samuel in chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. I was uh, wondering what I was going to talk about today and uh, was going over different um, Bible characters, and uh, King Saul came up, and it's been a while since uh, we've talked about uh, King Saul, and of course uh, about uh, the topic of rebellion. You know, it's it's a kind of a very sobering uh, topic. In Saul's life, we'll see that if we're not careful about repenting, getting things right, making amends with God, we're going to not only affect our own personal lives, but we affect those around us as well. So, basically, Saul brought his own destruction. He became a person who feared man instead of fearing God. Every leader needs to know that no matter what the height they obtain that their position is from God and that they never are above keeping God's law. They're never selfish, they, they're humble, and they're obedient to God's will. There was a drunken sailor who fell off a boat, and in his childhood he was raised by a godly Christian mother who uh, not uh, shortly after passed away from a disease and his father was a rebellious sea captain. And of course, with his father being around and his mother passing away, this young man had rebel- rebellion, and he had uh, bitterness, and he t- basically took after his father's footsteps. They say that this man, this sailor, this captain, was so uh, cruel to his uh, his crew on the ships that no one was willing to jump into the the waters to to bring it back onto the ship. So instead, what they did to bring it back on the ship was using a harpoon. They threw a harpoon and stuck him with it, and then pulled him back onto the ship. Kind of the same thing that happened with Saul. He started out strong, but in the end, he he failed terribly, miserably. And we're going to start in chapter 8, where basically the Israelites come to Samuel, and they're saying, Samuel, we want a king. We're looking at all these other nations around us, and they have a king. Why don't we have a king? And Samuel's like, well, because you have God. Why do you need to have a, a man to be in charge of everybody? You have the one who brought you out of Egypt. You know, and fed you manna in the desert, you know, and protected you from all of the enemies in the land of Canaan. 
why are you wanting a king? And not only that, God, t- t- the Lord tells Samuel, look in verse 11, 11 through 18, the Lord tells Samuel to tell to the people, this is what the king, if you have a king, this is what the king will do. And it starts out, and he said, and he said, and he said this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his grounds and to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers, he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your manservants and your maidservants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Basically, the Lord's saying, if you, when, you have this, when you have a king, he's going to take things from you. He's going to take your children, and he's going to use them for his own benefits. He's going to take the best of your, your food and your... Your, your equipment, your instruments, your tools. He's going to take basically everything for himself. And when you cry out in the time of trouble, you ha- you're going to rely on the king because obviously God's not going to hear you. And yet, after all of that, Samuel's saying, this is really not a good idea. You probably shouldn't do this. Verse 19 says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we shall have a king over us. <clears throat> well, so God told Samuel to go look for a king. And so throughout uh, throughout the chapter, in verse uh, chapter 9, Samuel's going through and he finds this man, Saul. Now Saul was, he was tall, and he was, he was actually from the shoulder to the head, was taller than any man in Israel. And he was rich. He was actually with his uh, father's servant, and they were looking for a couple of runaway donkeys. And he was, he was a humbled servant. He was willing to serve and obey his father in doing that. And when Samuel saw Saul, God told him to anoint him to be king. And so that's what he did. He took Saul, he anointed him, and brought him before the people of Israel and said, This is your king. Saul will be your king. And of course, when they saw him, he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was, at this point in his life, he was a servant who was willing to obey and do what God wanted him to do. In chapter 11, we see that King Saul helps Jabesh Gilead when the Ammonites came and were attacking them. And so Saul basically gathers up and rallies 
the, the nation together, and they fight the Ammonites, and basically become victorious, and they push back the Ammonites. And at this point in his life, he does not get boastful, he does not become proud, he's humbled, and he gives all the glory of the victory to God. And he doesn't even take revenge on those who oppose him as king. And he doesn't listen to those who call for revenge. But in chapter 13, between chapters 11 and chapter 13, we see where Saul begins his downfall. In chapter 13, it talks about that Saul is waiting for Samuel for seven days to make a sacrifice before the Lord. And for some reason, Saul disobeys this command. He performs the sacrifice himself because Samuel doesn't show up yet. And because of this disobedience, the Lord tells Saul that his his descendants, his sons, Jonathan and the other sons, were no longer going to be heirs to the throne. He lost that privilege with his family. Of course, later on, we see that Jonathan, in the battle that was going to happen ahead, was used mildly by God, and they have a victory. But because of Saul's sin, obviously, this victory of the victorious days were going to be short-lived. And we'll see as we go along, Saul's sin, it just gets worse and worse. In chapter 15, it talks about, he again disregards the command of the Lord. In verse 22, chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel says, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying of the Lord, the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Look at verse 23. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and the stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. So again, we see that Saul disobeys the voice of the Lord. And at this point, it just seems like throughout his, uh, his position as being king, with all the victories and the blessings that the Lord provided, Saul kind of gets a, a boastful, prideful spirit. And he's like, I'm king, I could do whatever I want, basically. Even when Samuel, God's man, comes and tells him what the Lord wanted him to do, Saul did his own thing. And not only that, not only because of pride and 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 his his selfishness, but he also did because out of fear, the fear of man. Like before when I talked uh in chapter thirteen when Saul performed the, the sacrifice without Samuel being there, it was because he was fearful that the enemy was going to attack at any moment. 
And the longer he waited, the more anxious he got. And instead of going to God and asking God to help him in this time of need, he took matters into his own hand and did it anyways and disobeyed. Because of the second time of disobedience, not only did his, his sons not get the, uh, wouldn't have the chance of becoming king over Israel, but Saul also lost uh, God's blessings of being king over Israel. And God was going to have Samuel look for another king. And basically at that point in Saul's life, God left Saul. Basically, that fellowship was severed. And that's what sin does. That's what sin does. As Christians, it's very easy for us if we're not careful to fall into sin. And obviously with God being holy and righteous and perfect, that fellowship that we have is cut. And we don't have that connection anymore. It's easy to fall into sin, but it's also easy to get back into fellowship. All we have to do is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And for some reason, Saul never did that. He never repented. He just basically uh, wallowed in his self-pityness. And obviously, God, you can read in the passage where God allows a, uh, a spirit, a troubling spirit, to basically always oppress Saul and continue to always just being... He's, he's always in agony and stress and discouraged. I think if Saul got things right, made amends right, obviously he wasn't going to be allowed to be king anymore. But I, I'm sure God would, was willing to have that fellowship again with Saul that he had at the beginning if Saul just repented and made things right. But we don't see that. So we continue on. <clears throat> so God tells Samuel that there was going to be a new king. And, of course, we know that that next king was going to be David. You know, Samuel goes to the home of Jesse, David's father, and he goes through the sons. God said, it's not him, it's not him. And they go all the way down. And Samuel's like, is this all of your sons? And Jesse's like, no, this, my youngest, he's out in the field watching the, watching the sheep. And so Jesse and Samuel go out and meet David. And out in the pastures, Samuel anoints David. And so basically, you know, David comes into Saul's life. When Saul, like I said, he was having that troubled spirit. And he was just really depressed. And his servants are like, oh, I have an idea. Let's have a musician come and play a harp or play music for the king. And they heard that David played the harp, and they asked David to come before Saul in the king's court and play music for him. And so David is before the king Saul, and he's, you you know, serving the king. And actually Saul actually likes David at first. You know, he's... uh, young man who's obedient and willing to serve and he he respects that 
And there is a certain point in Saul and David's life where Saul was afraid of David. And why was that? Because the Lord was with David, and he had departed from Saul. And you can see then 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Saul, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Basically, it says, Actually, let's just go back. Verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a gavelin in Saul's hand. Verse 11. And Saul cast a javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. So not only did this happen once, it happened twice. Obviously, God was with David because he protected him, those two occurrences. In verse 12, it says, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, and he was departed from Saul. Obviously, with these two occurrences where Saul was actually going to kill, was trying to kill David, he missed these opportunities. And he knew that God was protecting David. And of course, with this troubling spirit that Saul had, he knew that God wasn't with him. So he was afraid. And he was afraid of who? He was afraid of man. He was afraid of the being vulnerable because he wasn't in the presence of the Lord anymore. And the reason why Saul was doing these actions toward David was jealousy. When David killed Goliath, well, his name spread across the nation. He became, you know, well known. He was became famous, and so Saul knew that David was going to be the next king, and so he tried to do whatever he could to try to get rid of David. David was put in charge of a group of men, and Saul literally would cast him into battles that were really outnumbered just so that he could try to kill David. And yet David, every single time he went to battle, was victorious. And it got to the point where people were saying, Saul slew his thousands and David his ten thousands. Of course, when Saul heard that, he was just furious. He was angry, he was bitter, and he turned on David and was absolutely determined it was his only goal to get rid of David. You see, when you fall into sin and you're not willing to make things right, you focus on yourself. And when things don't go your way, you become bitter. And when you see other people around you being blessed by God because they're doing what God wants them to do and they're in God's will, you become jealous. And, you know, when you read through First Samuel, not only was he affecting himself, Saul was affecting himself, but he was affecting his family too. Jonathan and David were like brothers, basically. And 
they lost their fellowship because David had to flee from Saul because he was going to kill him. And Jonathan said, you have to, you have to run because if you don't, you're going to be killed by my father. He is, he is seriously wanting to, to kill you. And of course, later on, we'll find out that uh, Jonathan and his other brothers would actually die in battle with their father. <clears throat> but to continue on, it, you know, the results of rebellion turned away from God, it destroyed King Saul. He was plunging deeper and deeper into rebellion against the Lord. And it came to the point in his life, you know, after chasing David multiple times all over the countryside, basically, and David having opportunities to actually kill Saul, and yet he, he didn't. And the reason why he didn't is because he believed that God, he was God's anointed still. God would take care of King Saul when the time was right. And it happened twice that David could have killed him, but he didn't. And every time Saul was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. You had the chance to kill me and you didn't. You're a good friend. I'll, I'll stop chasing you. But then he'd come back and start chasing him again. Well, it finally caught up to him with, with King Saul. He was going against the Philistines, and the out, you know, he was looking at the, the situation. He knew that it wasn't going to end very well with the, for the Israelites. And so he, in First uh, Samuel chapter 28... First Samuel chapter twenty-eight, verse eight. Uh, let's start actually in verse verse seven. Then says Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And basically this is a, a, a witch, basically. A, a lady who dealt with, with uh, idol, you know, witchcraft, idolatry, and stuff like that. Verse 8. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with them, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by a familiar spirit, and bring him up, whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou, hast, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore, then layest thou a snare for my life, to cause me to die." And Saul swear to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. So at this point, uh, Samuel has died and passed away, and he was buried. 
And so not only has Saul lost communication with the Lord, but the man of God is also gone now. And basically, Saul in his life right here is at the point of he's so desperate he's willing to do witchcraft to try to communicate with the Lord. Verse 12, And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. She figured out when she saw Samuel that, um, you know, that Saul was actually talking to her right now. And she uh, reacted. And she was fearful. And the king said unto her, in verse 13, Be not afraid. For what, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted to bring me up? And Saul answered, I'm sore distressed. For the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee, that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Wow. Looking at that verse... I can't imagine how Saul must have felt at that point. Knowing that God was departed from him and was not answering him anymore. That's what, that's basically what sin and rebellion does to you. If we don't make amends and make things right, we just fall deeper and deeper into it until it comes to a point where God doesn't talk to us anymore. Scary thought. And it got to the point where Saul was so afraid and so scared that he went to a, a witch, basically, and allowed her to bring Samuel back. I, I, me, personally, I believe that God allowed this to be Samuel to talk with Saul. Verse 16, we'll go on. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing that the Lord is departed from thee and is become my enemy? Wow. It got to that point where basically the Lord became the enemy of Saul. Wow. You know, and I have to say, you know, there's people that say, well, that would never happen to me. I never, you know, Saul, yeah, obviously he's in the Bible and he's an example for us to, to see. But me, oh, I would never let that happen to me. Be careful. I have, through the school, you know, going through college and stuff like that, through uh, Christian schools, you know, 
I have known of people who, you know, they start out strong and they're, you know, they're all for the Lord, serving the Lord. You know, they're doing great in their classes and stuff like that. But then a tiny little sin, you know, a tiny so-called a little sin comes into their life. And they don't make things right. And before long, they're out of school, out of church, living their own life, doing their own thing, not serving the Lord. Now, at this point, you know, I don't even know if the Lord is even talking to them anymore. They're so far away from being in the will of God. They're just living their own lives, doing their own things. It's it's very easy to fall into sin. But like I said, if we're earnest and have a desire to do what's right, obviously we would make amends, repent of our action, and get right with God. And uh, be able to uh, renew that fellowship that we had before. We'll continue on. Verse 18, or I mean verse 17, And the Lord hath done him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand, and giveth it to thy neighbor, even to David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executest his fierce wrath upon Amalek, in the past, when David, when God told Saul to destroy the Ammonites, completely wipe them out, there he was supposed to kill the people and to kill the animals and destroy the homes, everything. He was supposed to wipe them out. But you would find out if, when you go back and read through these chapters that Saul did not do that. He kept King Amalek alive. He also kept the goodly animals alive because, oh, I mean, why not? I mean, this is these are like the, the, the benefits and the, the profits of my good deed of serving the Lord. And then Samuel comes along and he's like, why do you have King Amalek here? And isn't that animals I hear? And Saul, and Saul tells Samuel, well, here's the thing, all right? Um, the people told me to keep the animals alive. You know, they, they, they wanted me to do it. I, I would have obeyed the Lord, you know, if the people weren't so persuasive and told me to do it, basically, is what Saul said. But he, he, he disobeyed God. And Samuel brings up this, I think, to re, remind Saul, you know, they all started basically over here when you disobey God. And now you're here at this point in your life where God's not even talking to you. You have become basically the enemy of God. God has taken the kingdom away from you and he's going to give it to David because you disobeyed the Lord. Verse 19, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou... And thy sons be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Well, after hearing this, after hearing that, basically the next day, 
Samuel's like, the next day, you and your boys are going to be with me. You're going to die tomorrow. And the rest of Israel is going to fall into the hands of the Philistines. Well, of course, after this, Saul fell straightway along on the earth because of, because, and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had not eaten bread all day nor all night. Wow. Me, personally, I do not want to be in this situation that King Saul is in. I mean, there's been times of distress and worry and things like that that come up in our lives. But if we're in God's will, there's nothing for us to be afraid of. We can go to him, like Saul should have done, gone to him in prayer, like other kings have, like uh, Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, Asa. You know, these other kings, when there was a time of need and trouble... They went to God in prayer. And of course, because they were, doing, they were in God's will, God delivered them out of their trouble and delivered in a time of need. Saul, he, had, he, he lost that fellowship. And he was sore afraid. Wow. Well, later on, we see 1 Samuel chapter 31. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines. It fell down slain at the Mount of Gilboah. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abused me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was a sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. Wow. So basically, so basically Saul was sore afraid of being taken captive and basically tortured and abused by the Philistines that he was willing to take his own life. He tried to have his his armor bearer to to kill him, but he was afraid to do it, obviously, because when you're, you know, you serve the king and the king is asking you to kill him, I'm sure he was thinking like, well, what what people what are people going to think if they find out that I I killed the king? And so Saul took matters into his own hand, and, and he, he killed himself. And, of course, the armor bearer followed after likewise.
the destruction of Saul's moral life resulted in the destruction of his physical life. You know, this is this was the king that the Israelites asked for. The people of Israel, this is they wanted a king, and this is the king that they got. Israel was more harassed by the Philistines at the end of Saul's reign than they had at the beginning. His reign as king began with a battle and ended with a battle. But there was a difference. It started out with a rescue and giving honor and glory to God and being humbled. And it was with those who still honored King Saul and they remembered they remembered him from the beginning. But of course in this last battle with the Philistines they they lost. They were chasing and defeated by the Philistines. And of course, like I said, with sin, it not only affects you, it affects the those around you as well. Jonathan and Melshusha and Abinadab, these sons, they died with their father because of their father's actions. Sobering, you know, the results of rebellion against God is self-destruction. And like I said, to kind of bring this full circle, remember like I talked about the drunken sailor who fell off the boat? and was harpooned to get pulled back out of the water. That is uh, John Newton. He's the one that wrote the song Amazing Grace. He was a cruel, wicked, evil man who was abusive to his crew, who was very cruel to the... Uh, the he was a slave trader, basically, and he ran slaves on his ships back and forth. And he was just a wicked man, cruel to them. Yet, when it came to the point where in his life, where he was going to meet basically his maker, because it was a very bad storm, and it seemed like the ship was going to, to, to sink. And he remembered his mom talking about the one true God, the one who created the, the, the seas and the lands, and he got on his knees and he said, "Father, I, you know, God, I haven't talked, you know, talked with you since I was a little child. If you get me out of this, I know that you are real, and I will do whatever I can to serve you." Well, at that point, you know, God rescued him and his crew from that storm, and he became a pastor and he was a musician. And like I said, he wrote the song "Amazing Grace." Between John Newton and Saul, I say that Saul ended as a as a, a believer who fell into sin and never got right with God, never repented of his actions and made amends. And then there's John Newton, who, like I, he was, you know, he fell into sin. He had bitterness and he was rebellious. But when the point came that he had made a decision whether to still live for himself and die a lonely, bitter man or to make amends, repent of his sin and make 
make things right with God. I say that John Newton, he, he restored that fellowship that he had before. And so, as a Christian, I want you, you know, we should think, basically, the main point is, rebellion is what is self-destructive, and repentance is what restores that fellowship that we have with God. And we don't want to lose that. Obviously, I don't, me personally, I don't want to end up like King Saul and what happened to him. So, that's what I wanted to share with you. And uh, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing me to have this opportunity to, to share what was laid on my heart, Father. And I just pray that we take to heart what Saul said about, uh, what was said about Saul and what a life of sin and rebellion leads to. And when we do not make things right and repent of our sin and confess our sin before you, Father, that we just fall farther and farther deep into wickedness and despair and discouragement and depression, Father. Help us to remember that you are in control. And when we have times of trouble and struggles, that we don't try to take matters into our own hand, but come to you, Father, and to ask for your help. And Father, I just pray that we continue to be in your will and do what is right, Father, and to encourage one another and help us to to strengthen our inner man, Father, and to continue to spiritually grow. And I pray for the rest of the the services that will be coming up, Father, and that you work in our hearts. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.